Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. My name is John Thomas Lane. I was born on December the 21st, 1876. I'm guessing somewhere between 90 to 95% of Australians have no idea who Jack Lang was. Imagine that many Brits not knowing Oliver Cromwell, or that many Americans not knowing Robert E. Lee. Jack Lang's premiership saw Australia come as close to a civil war as we've ever been before. Quite simply, it looked poised to be a standoff between the Australian Army and the New South Wales Police. Yet, somehow in the middle of all of this, Jack Lang passed revolutionary reforms that also transformed the nation. My name's Cam, otherwise known as Mr. Mitchell History on YouTube. I'm a history teacher by trade, and in this podcast, I'm joined by Ben and P.Y. as we discuss the premiership and aftermath of Jack Lang. Now, in the middle of recording, unbeknownst to me, my mic got disconnected, and so my sound was getting picked up from Ben's mic about two meters away from me. So forewarning, if you are new, I do sound much better in the other podcasts. As always, taking two seconds to give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts massively helps. If we get 60 Spotify ratings by the next episode, I'll release an episode from our exclusive Patreon-only podcast. I really enjoyed making this episode. Gentlemen. Kim. Jack Lang episode today. Oh boy. I'm very keen. Second Australian history topic we've done so far. Our listeners are 77% Australian, according to the stats. Mm-hmm. Ben, you are back. I'm back. Back in, back from the land of the free, as they as they call it. Free your mind of the hardships of the way that the podcast audience polled against you. Yeah, look, I, it yeah, was really, really good kind of way to clear my head. Sort of a real, what's his name? The guy that took, the politician that took the, the one-month mental health. John Barillaro. No, the other one from the... The allegations. Oh, Christian Porter. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, my mental health break in a similar life <laughs> <laughs> to Christian Porter. Um, an escape from the the controversy surrounding my bid for, for prefect. How was America? Yeah, yeah, really good. Uh, I, something I found interesting, I, I didn't know that, because obviously here in Australia we drive on the left, America we drive on the right. I very much thought that was another just imperial system thing, like the Americans doing their thing, you know, bald eagles per football field kind of <laughs> kind of measures not not where the odd ones out in yeah. in this case that was uh new to me that was the heart of your trip was coming to that mm. realization yeah <laughs> yeah that's it um jack lang <laughs> would you go back then would you go back there i think i i i saw what i need like i was content with what i saw in california i um i got to see some stars which is pretty cool i the first basketball game i went to Astronomy wise as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, well I was gonna say like like went went to this Lakers game and there's like I can see Kevin Hart sitting courtside and then I find out later that DiCaprio and, and Justin Timberlake are there. JT Was DiCaprio there with his new girlfriend? <laughs> this was um this was maybe three weeks ago, so I don't know if this had happened yet, but I heard about her. She's she's nineteen or something, is she? 
So she's got six years. Oh, he just so <laughs> before she reaches. Oh, he doesn't stop, does he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, I didn't. I don't think he was. I don't think he was uh, there with her. But maybe they're on the tune at that point in time. It's it's hard <laughs> to say. Your podcast breaking the big story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter. We're we're pivoting our TMZ. <laughs> really gone to the TMZ territory. Yeah, but like that was that to me was crazy. I'm like, like who would you? Let's say I go courtside to the Sydney Kings game. Who am I seeing? Like <laughs> Joe Hildebrand or something. <laughs> 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 and you, you did meet Gareth Bale. Yes, yes. Uh, Gareth Bale, one GB. of the... Probably one of the, like, I don't know, would you say top 20 kind oh, of higher. footballers of, our, of the last 10 years or so? Most expensive footballer in the world at one point. Yes, yeah. Five times Champions League winner. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was there making his, his professional golf debut. Mm. Great to watch. Play, he plays on a handicap of two. So he's that means he's quite good. <laughs> So, who would win? Wales, Golf, Madrid. Between the as they say. Us, who would win? Mm, it's a good I, question. I think maybe at some point I might have backed myself, but I think PY wow. would have me now. Just, it's been like 50. Well, I, we I think played, so. Have we, yeah, I'm, I'm I sort of pretty close. I'm having a tough time with golf at the moment. <laughs> Got the yips. It's a, it's a game I'd like to be good at, but it's a game that I feel I'm not currently very good at. It's a, it's a frustrating <laughs> sport. I, I played with PY fairly recently. And I, I was pretty poor. Hmm. Apparently, my golf swing is a straight driving cricket. So yeah, I have locked wrists, so that's what I've got to work on. <laughs> yeah, and we do have a, we have a subscribe question. This is from Mula Mulale. I don't think that's actually how you pronounce it, but we're working with it. Does Gareth Bale speak Welsh fluently? Mm. How good is his Spanish? Oh, double barrel question. <laughs> how good is his Spanish? I remember the press in Spain criticizing him for having poor, such non-existent Spanish-speaking skill. So he mm. came from the course. Yeah. How's how is he as a trilingual? Yeah, look, he only spoke one of those languages. <laughs> I guess probably not a lot of reason in the US to speak Welsh. So unfortunately didn't hear anything out of him. Maybe I could have expected some Spanish. There's obviously a lot of Spanish speaking people on the, the West Coast. Did he um, not when he signed for LAFC he spoke Spanish in an interview? I, think and that was, I do remember that. It was a bit yeah. of a like a screw you to Madrid. Yes, no. I, I do recall that. But no, he he was was very much just speaking um, speaking English. Funnily enough, actually, I did I found it interesting that Americans would often ask when they'd hear my accent whether I was either Australian or English, mm. and I was like, where could you possibly get yeah. the English from yeah. this? But obviously, to them, it's the soft R's. I've been yeah. yeah, I've been like I was chatting to an American in Sydney, and they're like, oh, when did you move to Australia? They thought I was British, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I guess you and I we've con- uh, consume a lot of British media you as think well, that, but that plays a part in our. <laughs> Let us know. Yeah, I reckon it would. Yeah. <laughs> true. That's so true. So, as Australians, we are looking at our second Australian person. Take looking at Jack Lang. I'm taking it you probably watched that Geordie's video a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Don't remember too much, is what I'm guessing. No, not no, much not too all. much. New, New South Welshman. Yeah, had a very large support behind him. At the time, bit of a cult hero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a purely audio medium, so no one is seeing how good PY's eyebrows are as he raises <laughs> every statement there. So yeah, Jack Lang basically he's a premier in the 1930s, and he actually is a titan within the Labor Party, and he wields heaps of influence throughout his time, even after leaving politics too. So he actually enters Parliament in 1913, at least state Parliament. Really important chronologically. He's one year out from World War One. One mm-hmm. doesn't know it at the time. He enters Parliament in 1913. Have you heard of Billy Hughes? I have. Yes, rings a bell. But um, who is he, Ben? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I've heard the name. Okay, pretty sure yeah. Passed for a number. Of true. True. It could be any person with the surname Hughes that I've heard <laughs> of. Really. Is uh, um, is there one of the um like electorates called Hughes? Yes. Is um, that named after him or someone else? I was actually thinking on the drive here, I should Google that because I do <laughs> suspect one of you guys will ask that question. I don't know. I think it is, but okay. he didn't live. He didn't. So I live in Hughes. Oh. Billy Hughes didn't live anywhere near there. So yeah, okay. maybe it's just like a memoriam, but he certainly didn't represent anywhere near South Sydney or s- Southwest Sydney. So yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Billy Hughes was the Prime Minister of Australia during World War One. So a guy called Andrew Fisher is initially the Prime Minister. He is kind of left out of the loop. 
he does not know, he doesn't find out about Gallipoli until after it happens. Mm. So this is the Prime Minister of Australia. So if you remember from the Iraq episode, it was Winston Churchill who came up with the idea for Gallipoli. Yeah. So Fisher doesn't know about it, and Fisher, he kind of happily steps back, and Billy Hughes steps up to be the leader of Labor. What happens is Jack Lang kind of makes his name um, as someone who protests against conscription. Because Billy Hughes comes mm. in and he ha- basically puts two plebiscites to the Australian people saying, hey, let's legalise conscription for foreign wars. It doesn't get through and Jack Lang is the biggest opponent. And so he kind of gains a fair amount of notoriety throughout the 1910s and throughout World War One. Good on him, I. I support his efforts of of anti conscription. <laughs> I think that's that's a good thing to be against. So basically, fast forward to the early nineteen twenties, and Jack Lang becomes leader of the opposition. So he becomes the leader of Labor. Nineteen twenty two, over in Queensland, they do something pretty unique. They get rid of the Senate entirely. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, don't need this. So Jack Lang kind of looks at that, and for him, it makes a lot of sense. If I was to ask, what's your gut feeling? Say the Australian Parliament tomorrow said we're going to get rid of our Senate, what would your gut feeling be? I thought, I feel like the Senate, to some extent, acts as like a, a bit of like a sort of checks and balances kind of thing, right? That it needs to get through a second sort of hurdle before it can then be be made into law. But at the same time, I feel like we have a lot of problems with when they're sort of majority by two different parties and then you just get them stopping all the things all the time. Mm-hmm. So... I like it. I can see why people might might not. Because initially, the Senate was a way for the elite to maintain power. I see. So in, in Britain, it's not the Senate, it's the House of Lords that are not mm. democratically elected people. They're from different traditional institutions, like members of royalty, members of the Church of England, and so forth. The mm. Senate... It's, it's definitely more democratic in Australia. At that point in history... So I should be more specific... It wasn't the called the Senate in New South Wales. There was the, legis- the Legislative Assembly, which is the lower house and the Legislative Council. So they didn't use the word Senate, but that's basically what it was. And they were appointed by the lower house. So the Senate is actually less democratic than the house because in the house, you literally vote for your local MP and you know who that person is. For the Senate, you vote for the party and then they mm. put forward a bunch of senators on your behalf. So... Mm. What's the... I can't remember the name. Remember the woman who, in a resignation speech, kind of went off about ScoMo? Like, mm. uh, someone who... Last name ends in Wells. Really bad. I should remember her name. Awesome. Sorry? No, it's like, it's like a high... It's like a double barrel by surname. Uh, I can't remember her name. Basically, her argument was that ScoMo was too woke for the Liberal Party, but she gave this full resignation speech criticising ScoMo and the Minister for Immigration at the time, Alex Hawke, and basically saying they're completely ruining the Liberal Party and they're stacking the Senate with their people rather than the true supporter base of the Liberal Party. And so the Senate, it's, it's, it's really not a democratic institution because it's the party who puts their people in. And ScoMo said to her, hey, we're not putting you forward for the Senate next election term. So she basically raised the middle finger to him and was like, well, stuff you then, I'm going to take you down. And so mm. the Senate, it's not really a democratic institution there's components of democracy because you obviously vote for the party who gets to put in the senator. But in New South Wales, it was the lower house who put forward people in the upper house. And so it's kind of two arms of government to slow down legislation. And so Jack Lane was basically like, well, no, let's try and get rid of them. If you're going to pass a law to get rid of the Senate, who do you need to sign off on it? The Senate. <laughs> the Senate. <laughs> um, and so very crazily, Jack Lane nearly convinces all of Labor senators to do that. And they're quite happy to be like, yeah, we'll vote ourselves out of employment. They're yeah. out of the job. Yeah. yeah. Do they have something <laughs> lined up? In the... well, uh... Often jobs in the unions. I see. So, yeah. But basically he tried to get them to vote themselves out of existence. He passed a fair few other important reforms in his first term in office. So he gave a pension for war widows. So the Australian government didn't offer much support to the widows uh, who had lost either husbands or even sons during the First World War. He put in pretty extensive workers' compensation legislation. So, again, think about how dangerous it was to work in the factories in the 20s. So he gets Mm -hmm. some really good workers' comp laws through. He established a 44-hour working week. So basically kind of put limits in place to restrict what factory owners could do. He abolished public school fees. 
I don't know if you remember PY, we went to the same public school. Mm. Sometimes you had to pay the optional school fees to get access to, like, the library. Really? I think yeah. that was a myth mom told me to get me to pay. To get you to read books. Yeah. Knowing that <laughs> in high school. I think so. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, it was, like, an optional school fee for public schools. Yeah. And really? mom was like, you got to pay that to get access to the library. It's, yeah. Now that I've said it out loud, that is, <laughs> that's yeah, that it, sounds crazy. Really I remember, <laughs> I remember losing a book and having to pay for that book, and I found the book later underneath my bed. Oh, um, Jake, that was worth keeping. Like destroying Avalon or I don't think I think it was Briar Rose. Not a not a Goosebumps book or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was, it was a commendable book, but um, I would have liked to return it. And, yeah, you'd, had you you'd read it. I thought I, ge- I was I was stumped as to where it could. I've genuinely thought that was that's lost, it's gone, mm. and yeah, that's okay. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, wonder where it is now. The last key reform that Jack Lamb put through was he built the Hume Highway. Well, not him personally, mm. his people built the Hume Highway. Important. I, I gathered that. <laughs> big road from yeah. Sydney to Canberra. And Canberra wasn't the capital at this time. Was no, it? but it was on the process of be- becoming okay, a capital. Okay, okay. So, so it was built with the knowledge of it being yeah, a capital. Exactly. Yeah. So initially there was a proposal for a place called Dalgetty to be the capital. That's a town now that has like, I don't know, like a thousand people in it. It's oh. a very small town. What could have been? Yeah. Do you think they do you think they talk about almost making, like there's old heads around Dalgetty that talk about almost being the capital? Yeah. <laughs> mm. Then Melbourne became the kind of temporary residence for Parliament House. And then in the 20s they were setting up Canberra to be the capital city. So kind of building the infrastructure to have the transportation there. We quite enjoyed our drive on the Hume Highway. It's a good road. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> we, uh, this is the moment, Ben, when you were, you had to leave to go to your family holidays mm. in a separate car. We were playing niche Australiano, celebrity guess who. Ah, good. Uh, I, was, I was really proud of this one. I got the boys with Natalie Bassingthwaite. <laughs> I do not know who that is. <laughs> She was a judge on the X Factor. Season two, Reese Maston season. Mm. They decided that <laughs> to have a judge called Natalie was well, it was a really good formula. So when Natalie and Brulia left, that's the woman from Johnny English, yep. they said, well, pretty much our hands are tied here. We're going to have to go with Natalie Bassingthwaite. Mm. And she was she was on Reese Maston. Could you name a Bassingthwaite song? No. Yeah. I don't think. I think so, I reckon if we heard one, we'd like, oh, yeah. But. She was the over 35s. I remember that much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like Bassing Thwaite. She didn't feel the need to get a stage name. She That was her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just, I like that name. I like it. <laughs> it, just sort of, it just sort of feels you could have come up with something a little punchier, but I'm not going to. Good for her. She's. She's made it further in the music front than I ever will. So, uh. Because what was Osho Gunsberg's like? I know it used to be Andrew G, but I just don't know what his actual birthday yeah. is. Yeah. Is, Osh, is that not his, birth, no, his not birthday? Osho. Wow. So Gunsberg might be, because that mm. sounds a pretty random name to make up. It's quite Swedish for a name that <laughs> you, you wouldn't want. Is he just Australian? Like, what? Who can say? Oh. Get in contact with us on Twitter. Speaking of, yeah, we're do gonna... follow us, Mr. Mitchell Issue Podcast, on Twitter. We will guarantee that we will reply to every tweet that we get. That's out. It's our one-time offer. Let's come back <laughs> well, it's not one-time offer. It's a continuing <laughs> offer. <laughs> so Jack Lang basically tried to get the centers vote themselves out of existence. They didn't do that. And that was kind of a lot of controversy at the time. So the they weren't the Liberal Party. They were called the Nationalist Party. But basically, it was the Liberal Party with a different name. They tried... They kind of hit Lang hard on it. They were like, Lang wants dictatorship. He mm. wants to get rid of democracy. And they kind of ran with that sort of angle. And so a guy called Thomas Babin defeated Jack Lang in 1927. And so basically it would take until 1929 for Jack Lang to get back into office again. There is something greater than the greatest leaders the world has ever seen. He said, what's that? I said, fear. And the fear in Europe of the power of the United States Soviet states of Russia and communism is so great that they'll do anything if they're sure to avoid it. So 1929, it's the stock market crash in America, the beginning of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. To make try and make it as simple as possible, people take loans from the banks to buy into the stock market. With this extra capital flowing into the stock market, it creates an artificial bubble as, how, as stock market prices go up. Mm-hmm. Eventually, because the bubble is built on confidence rather than on actual asset value of the companies, that bubble is destined to pop at some point, And what you're waiting for is people to lose confidence in the stock market. 
for whatever reason, we don't really know why, that happened in October of 1929 and people started panic selling their shares. And so if I own shares in the stock market and I see PY selling his shares, the message that sends to me is that I need to get rid of my shares because PY's lost his confidence. And so the stock market dropped by a third of its value in one day in October of 1929. So compound the issue, people took loans from the bank to buy into the stock market. They now can't repay the bank and the bank starts to default and go bankrupt. So that means everyone who has their savings in the bank have now lost their savings overnight like that, lost their retirement fund. Corporations that have money in the banks lose their funds, which means they've got to then lay off people and we see the beginning of the Great Depression. Mm. That then spreads itself across. So it starts in America and it spreads itself across to Australia. The way that it really affected Australia was through Europe. So America was basically giving money to Germany and Germany would then use that money to invest in their, co- their economy to repay France, the war reparations that they owed from World War One, and then France would put that money back into America. It was kind of like a, it's called the Dawes Plan. It's like a triangular system. Mm. That fell apart on the back of the Great Depression. And because... Australia's economy was so heavily linked with Britain's economy that really negatively affected us. And so on the back of that, Jack Lang gets back into office because he's promising big spending and we're going to fight our way out of the depression with actual government policy. Basically, as Jack Lang comes back in, the 1930s is really interesting because it's the era of political violence. And you kind of follow if you like, like we mentioned, I don't know if it was off air or on air, I can't really remember. We mentioned football ultras before. Mm. Off air. Off air. Okay. You're not going insane if you don't recall hearing <laughs> football ultras. It was off air. So we're talking off air about, about football ultras. And basically, that was kind of how political following worked at the time. So you followed your political ideology like it was a football team. Mm. So in Europe, we had fights between fascists, communists, and, and Democrats. They would all kind of, okay. kind of fight each other on the streets. Football hooliganism. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, to be more specific, football hooliganism. And politics was kind of like Grand Street hooligans. Oh. Good film. <laughs> it is a very good film. I did rewatch it recently. Yeah. Not the whole thing, but just the scene where the, the, it's the final fight. Mm. Fantastic film. I've got to say, what's the main cat? Not uh, Elijah Wood, but the other guy. Pete. 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 His Cockney accent is so bad. Yeah. Like, Elijah Wood's like, you mean like the Yankees versus the Red yeah. Sox? More like the Israelis versus the yeah. Palestinians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. Um, yeah. Like, oh, you sound yeah. like me. So, did the role well, though. He did do the role very, mm-hmm. very well. So that's kind of what politics was like. So Labor had their group called the Labor Defence Corps. And basically, it was kind of them. with an, They were in alliance with the New South Wales Police. On the other side, there was a group called the New Guard. They were fascist. Mm. When I say fascist, I don't mean like... Bernie Sanders agrees with only a 35% Medicare tax rather than a 40% Medicare tax. <laughs> like, that's not, yeah, that's not what I'm getting at there. That was, like, that was good to watch. Was, the, um, it, was it at Trump's inauguration where you just see this, like, British girl be like, fascist, 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 <laughs> and the guy's just trying to have a conversation with them. <laughs> They're actually fascist. They met with Joachim von Ribbentrop, the Nazi foreign minister. Mm, yeah, I could see how that would not be a, not a good look. <laughs> And this is pre-invasion of Poland, so and pre-knowledge of the total extent of the Holocaust. Uh, yeah, sure. But still, yeah. So, didn't, didn't age well, shall we no, say, that meeting. And the New Guard kind of quickly lost their supporter base when World War II broke out. So the New Guard, what they would do is they would attend Labor meetings and quite literally drug people, drug them when you beat someone with a stick. And so there were straight fights between Labor Defence Corps and the New Guard pretty much about political ideology. Wow. Sounds like WWE. It, it really is, but it's the like... New Guard is like a name of a like a rebel kind of tag team going in and just trying to mess it up. <laughs> I'm just... I just can't help but picture like a sort of Tarakash-clad young liberal just coming up against some <laughs> some jeans-wearing young Labour member. <laughs> like that... You'd, you'd pay to watch that sort of content, really. <laughs> It, it's oh, pretty good. Wow. It'd be pretty good right now. Like you watch like a Barclay McGain versus like oh. anyone from your university from like Young Greens or whatever. Mm. It'd be entertaining but quite painful. So yeah, basically that's kind of how it worked at the time. And it's really weird. It's like imagine people who read like political ideology. So they read like I don't know Rousseau, 
and then just go and practice to like MMA afterwards. <laughs> you don't put those two together. <laughs> so it was, re- it was really interesting. And basically what had happened was the new guard attacked the New South Wales police. And because the Labor Defence Corps was against the new guard, that forced the New South Wales police into the loyalty of Jack Wang. And so the New South Wales police loved Jack Wang and they saw him as someone who represented them. And this factual warfare is going to be really important because when we look at how a civil war nearly broke out, the New South Wales police play a really important role in that. So like I said before, for 30s of the Great Depression, and that's affecting Australia, particularly New South Wales, really badly. Jack Lang was kind of ahead of his time with a lot of economic policies. If we were to hit an economic crisis tomorrow, and we're not in great economic condition right now, but if we were to hit a crisis and literally like the value of the stock market crashed overnight, unemployment rose to 25%, how would you try and get out of that? Talk to Wayne Swan. I feel like like he'd know what to do in this situation. It's not his first rodeo. Well, if the stock market fails, that surely means the crypto market is waiting to <laughs> is waiting to receive all that money so um yeah probably send my money there i i think it's worth going on record to say i'm i'm in the red in both my share market and crypto portfolio <laughs> oh no <laughs> but i yeah i blame it on the ukraine war so that's not my poor investing strategy it yeah. couldn't possibly be that couldn't yeah it's cash a good thing to have in that situation Probably not. Gold, mm, maybe. Gold. Or, or actually, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Or quickly buy, a, snap up a property before. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't. I don't know, Cam. Yeah, but we'd be bus. we'd be in trouble. I think. <laughs> yeah. Like our previous questions have been like, I don't know. If you had the new Australian anthem, what would you choose? Now I'm literally like, how would you fix the greatest economic crisis to hit mankind? Okay, no time to think about it. decisions, policies, specifics. Spell it out to me. What is conventional economic wisdom right now? And there's a limit to which you can do this, is to spend your way out. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Have a crisis. Mm-hmm. So when the JFC hit in Australia, Kevin Rudd did the $1,000 check where he basically encouraged you. Did we just lose a wicket? I think so. Sorry, we're watching I was checking on day one as we're recording this podcast. He looked out. He's, yeah, he's out. Stumping. He was on 49 as well. Shout out to our four Indian listeners. The, the professionalism on show here is <laughs> is unreal. That's a real shame. I knew we should have turned this He'd off. He'd be crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so yeah. minus labor change just got out as we are <laughs> filming this. So basically, it's conventional economic wisdom to spend your way out of a crisis. So Kevin Rudd did the $1,000 check. You go to Harvey Norman, and that keeps Harvey Norman afloat, who can then keep people employed and keep the economy mm-hmm. going. When COVID hit, we had JobKeeper and JobSeeker. JobKeeper was basically a way of dishing out money to huge corporations. JobSeeker was actually pretty good economic policy mm. and gave people the money to spend to stimulate the economy. How'd you guys go out of JobKeeper? Did you get any I any cash? I just got my job right before COVID. Yeah, I did. I did actually pretty well. Yeah. I think I was um so I was working for a a sports club where I'd be working match days. So it's every fortnight, probably getting... Are you at Liberty to share? Which sport club? It was the um, it was the Sydney Roosters. That was who it was, yeah. Mm. And I was just working match days. And so that's not much money really coming in. But because I worked for an organisation, like it was a lot of money that I was getting weekly compared to what I would have been getting mm. weekly if I was working. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like... It's like there was like a four fifty and a seven fifty or something with the two mm. amounts you could get. I think yeah, 
like yeah. the part time and full time or whatever. Yeah, um, I know people. People have bought bought cars from their from their yeah. job. Which, like, and like, I guess the, the cynic would be like, "Well, you're just wasting taxpayer dollars by giving to people who don't need mm-hmm. it." But in that particular, in those particular circumstances, the worst thing you could have was stagnation, where people don't spend any money and then everyone's out of a job because the circular flow of money comes to a halt. Mm. So the idea is you kind of keep the money in circulation. You don't want money to be at a standstill. In the 30s, the wisdom was the complete opposite. It was, you're in a depression, government cannot spend money because it's kind of like almost the way you'd manage your house. Like, well, you're in hard times, save, save, save. Yeah. And that was the wisdom at the time. Jack Lang challenged that. He was like, actually, I think that's dumb. I think we need to spend money and stimulate the economy. And so he's kind of, in terms of his perception of how to manage the economy, he was way ahead of his time. We call it Keynesianism. That's kind of the fancy economic word used mm. to describe what's going on there. And he, the Keynesian codified the theory in 36. Jack Lang's advocating for this in the, thir- in the early 30s, 31 specifically. So he is kind of seeing. Wow. Wow. Matt Renshaw <laughs> is out for a golden duck. Ravi's on a hat trick. Oh, Struggles yeah. on the subcontinent. Yeah. So speaking of hardship, <laughs> we're basically. He advocates for Keynesianism before it is really codified. And so minimum wage is increased. There's basically increased provisions given to tenants. So previously, tenants could just be kicked out at a, at a whim. If a tenant was defaulting on their rent, they were given a buffer window. I think it was about, I can't remember exactly, I think it was around about three months or so mm-hmm. to be able to get their rent in line. And so Jack Lang kind of advocated for that. In terms of social reforms, he advocated for women and successfully changed law to allow women to serve in both chambers of parliament. This is what I'm talking about, about the Senate being a kind of traditional non-democratic component of, of history. Women weren't allowed to sit in the Senate before. And so... But they were in the House of Reps? In the lower house, that's yeah. right. So Interesting. Not, no, I, kind of, I don't think anyone actually did in the 30s, but they changed the law to allow women to sit in the upper house... The other big thing that Lang did economically was he proposed taking the Aussie dollar off of the gold standard. Mm. Now, that wouldn't be done in America until the 70s. So he's like, we shouldn't peg the value of money to gold. We should basically have a a, a non-gold-based standard. And that was, again, economically way ahead of his time. And so Mm. he's kind of advocating for that in the early 30s. What's interesting about the early 30s, though, is that federal parliament is in chaos. <laughs> and they took that opportunity of trying to get the news out well by those devious methods. When they failed, then they came to the government of New South Wales. Okay, so James Scullin was the Prime Minister of Australia during the Great Depression. He has to have the most unlucky timing to have ever come into federal office. He comes in a week before the stock market crash. Mm. So he gets elected, I can't remember this specific date, I think it's October the 22nd, 1929, mm-hmm. and the stock market crash is in, if I'm not mistaken, October the 29th, 1929. <sighs> Literally, his tech... He hasn't even, hasn't even finished induction yet. No. He's, still, <laughs> he's still doing his, his online modules. Like, <laughs> the modules. Like, my gosh. Yeah. We would have polarising uni experiences, because I'm an arts degree, Ben's maths, a maths degree. Like, everything was clutch. Everything counted. What, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> I, I, what, like, how so? Please elaborate. Like, <laughs> I think Ben was referring to induction at a new job, let alone yeah. university. Um. <laughs> that, 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 that's right. Must that, be that, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A oh, good save there, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> um, Doing your work, health and safety modules. Vis-a-vis, think Gareth Keenan giving the safety to Donna. Uh, in the UK um, office, UK for those office. who don't know who Gareth King Mug is. safe, not safe. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Showing her how to pick up the box. To help me understand yeah. the corporate world, you can donate <laughs> to our Patreon, where we can indeed move towards the Mr. Mitchell history. So, basically, James Garland comes into office a week before the stock market crash. He has a bit of a rough run. So, he's Labour. Before him was a guy called Stanley Bruce, who was nationalist. And so he comes in as the new Labour guy. And one of the main economic issues he has to deal with is during the Depression, his treasurer, a guy called Ted Theodore, is... <laughs> is he... well, his name's Ted Ted. <laughs> 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 Teddy. I love this. They called him Red. 
Red Ted. Red Ted. Uh, Red Ted Redemption. Double C. <laughs> <laughs> I, my, I, I like that. My mind, I was a bit, I was thinking about Alvin and Simon. That's yeah. <laughs> so basically he gets this corruption charges laid against him. He stands down or Stalin puts him down and he puts a guy called Joseph Lyons as his new treasurer. At the same time, the Commonwealth Bank is own, is government run at that era. So it wouldn't be privatized until Paul Keating. So he's trying to, Scarlett's trying to get the Commonwealth Bank to expand its credit line. So basically, hey, give people easier loans so that we can keep money in circulation better. Kind of like to an extent wanting what Jack Lang wanted without going anywhere near as far. The Commonwealth Bank says no, and they don't do it. And so Scullin can't get through his economic policy. His treasurer has basically been forced to stand down. And so Joseph Lyons is now the new treasurer. And he is seeing that he is in the powerful position. Treasurer is often seen as the last post before becoming the prime minister. It's a mm. very common position. So what James Scullin does is James Scullin actually takes off Joseph Lyons as treasurer and puts Red Ted back in. Oh. And Red Ted comes back. Quite literally, Red Ted Redemption. Red Ted Redemption. <laughs> Red Ted. <laughs> so, wow, that's incredible. That's, um, but that's the name of his book. There. That's the name <laughs> of his book. Oh, a- wow. What's the name of your book, Cam? We're going to get more Patreon money before we get And basically, Joseph Lyons is now out of the job. He's really angry and he defects. And he basically goes to the nationalists and he's like, hey, I've got guys that are loyal to me. Let's team up and we can form a new party. And that party is called the United Australia Party. So that's oh. not, has nothing to do with Clive Palmer's uh. UAP. It's the Liberal Party. It's not the, like, it's basically the Liberal Party with a different name. Hmm. So Lyons gets the defectors to go with him. Jack Lang, he's not in federal parliament, he's in state parliament. He sees an opportunity here and he actually forms a group called Lang Labor. For Jack Lang, James Scullin wasn't radical enough. For Joseph Lyons, he was too radical. And so Jack Lang is like, no, nope, we need to have a much more unified approach to fighting. The Depression, there's another thing we're going to talk about very soon that really affects Jack Lang's thinking. And Jack Lang supports basic tastes, has six people take his side that are in federal parliament. And Jack Lang goes to James Scullin and he's like, call an election right now. Lang is thinking that enough Lang Labor guys will be elected in that he can twist the arm of James Scullin to do a more radical program. So basically his aim is kind of like what Japan did in World War II. Do a Pearl Harbor attack. With a, with a surprise attack and then try and bring the other side to the negotiating table. That's what he's trying to do with Labor. Break away and then scare them, get enough seats in to go to the negotiating table and say, hey, give us what we want. On the other hand, Joseph Lyons is confident that his new UAP can form government. As they go to the election, it's Joseph Lyons who's right and Jack Lang who's wrong. And the UAP wins the election. So now Joseph Lyons is the Prime Minister of Australia. What was controversial around all of that was James Scullin proposed something called the Premier's Plan. <laughs> like the Premier's Reading Challenge. <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking about yeah. as well. <laughs> I had a recommendation for the Premier's History Challenge for wow. a student wanting to, wanting to, com- to compete. What does that what, entail? Uh, yeah, do it's tell. You just visit. Yeah, basically, you go to Singapore, the Northern Territory, and I think Papua New Guinea is kind of like a World War II memorial tour. It's really cool. It's really sick. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, think it's actually a challenge. I think I just added that. <laughs> oh, sure. So, but basically, the Premier's plan was a way of revenue raising to repay Britain on the back of World War One. So Britain's gone into a depression. And so they come knocking on Australia and say, hey, remember those tanks that we gave you? Well, we want the money for them back. Hmm. Bad time. Pretty slack as well. Yeah. Like, what's the big picture? We're using those tanks to fight a war for you. Mm. Bit on the nose. Bit of a dog. <laughs> bit of a dog. And Jack Lang is kind of like, no. And Joseph Lyons, so this was originally proposed under James Scullin. Joseph Lyons likes that idea and he actually wants to keep that. And so he goes to basically the premiers of each of the different states and says, we're going to revenue raise by your on your treasury. And we're going to pay off the debt by collecting from each of you. And he actually passes a law called the Financial Enforcement Act, which basically allows the federal government to seize control of each state's territory. Pretty Wow, yeah. yeah pretty extreme. And literally, again, the context of this, mm-hmm. Australia puts soldiers forward to die for Britain 
and now Britain is wanting the money back for those guns that those soldiers fought with to die for Britain. Like, was the Gallipoli campaign not, like, surely we're, we're owed something for that, right, it seems? Yes. The, and America got a reduction that. on their repayments, and they got deferral on their repayments, and basically, they like, this is, Lang was like, this is nuts. And also, at the same time, the way that this would work is that each state would agree to limit their spending by 20%. That goes completely against Jack Lang's school of thought for dealing mm. with the Depression. He wants to spend his way out of the Depression. He doesn't want to save and conserve money during the Depression. So Lang is furious about this and basically p- protests against it. He takes the federal government to the High Court on the Anti-Slavery Act that was signed by William... Oh, sorry, not signed by William Wilberforce. Remember, did you learn about William Wilberforce in school? The guy who ended British slavery? Like, I know the name, but I, I don't remember it in... Being covered in school. The Anti-Slavery Act of 1833 in, in England basically ended British slavery um, okay. and criminalised British slavery. Mm. So Lang says, on that law, you can't do what you're doing because you are forcing us to make our government employees slaves because we can't afford to pay them. And so basically he says what the federal government is doing is slavery, is forcing slavery to happen. And he appeals what's going on to the High Court on the basis of anti-slavery. Wow. It's a bold strategy. Yes. And so now the Premier and the and the Prime Minister are squared off against each other. And this is where it gets really interesting. So basically, because the government could have control over the Treasury, what Jack Lang did is Jack Lang moved it and he put it in Sydney Trades Hall. And so he just basically says, no, nah, you're not having the money. And again, remember who's loyal to him? It's the, it's the Labor Defence Corps and it's the New South Wales Police. And they guard it and they're like, you're not having any of this. Mm-hmm. Pretty ballsy move. Mm. And literally, so now Jack Lang has completely ignored the authority of the federal government and has refused to submit to the demands of the federal government. Yeah. See, it's starting to be so now for a civil war. Mm. You're the governor of a state is. Oh, I, I shouldn't speak on this after my, uh, <laughs> my attorney general comments before. <laughs> Was the first governor, Philip. Yeah. Yeah. That was of the settlement. So a governor yeah. is basically the governor general for state parliament. So they can act on behalf of the queen at the state level. So okay. our governor general is a guy called Philip Gang. And basically he was like to Jack Lang, stand down or we will sack you. If you don't do this, I will fire you. Where it gets really interesting is Joseph Lyons, the army go to Joseph Lyons and they said, we're ready to attack New South Wales if you want. And so now we've got Jack Lang kind of arcing up. We've got the Governor General saying, you know what? You've got, you've got to stand down or we'll fire you. And we have the army ready to go against Jack Lang. What's Jack Lang's resistance going to be to the army? He's got the police. Yeah. Wow. And, so, and are those other guys the, the young labor? What are they no. called? The, <laughs> the labor defense. Labor defense yeah, and they're still around. <laughs> It's kind of like the territorial army. Yeah. <laughs> the police is really the really the valuable ones. Yeah. Mm. But Sydney's set for the New South Wales police versus the army in the Civil War. What year are we in now? We're in nineteen thirty-two, as this is all going on. So, couple of different options for here. Jack Lang can take the police with him and basically launch his own counterattack. The army can literally invade Sydney and have Canberra surround Sydney, because by now Canberra's now the official capital of Australia. Mm-hmm. Remember, Sydney's the first co- Sydney's the first colony. Canberra's the new capital. It's a risky move on the army's part because the Sydney Sydney citizens might not actually submit to the army coming in, and actually, likely a lot of Sydney citizens are going to side with Jack Lang. Yeah. So it's not an easy call for the army to make. So Jack Lang, oh sorry, to the army's relief, the Governor General fires Jack Lang, and Jack Lang. They're thinking, okay, that's going to be the catalyst for Jack Lang leading the police to fight back against the army. Jack Lang doesn't. And he's like, whatever, I'll cop it. So that is how we avoided a civil war. Jack Lang decided that he wouldn't go and fight against the federal government. And he mm-hmm. kind of surrenders and, and, and stands down. Yeah. I mean, were, like his followers and the police, were they still kind of riled up? Or did he just tell yes. them like... Extremely Calm down. Up. A lot of them were ready. Mm. Have a guess how many went to protest for him. What was the population at that time? Uh, <laughs> the population of Sydney was about 2 million. Oh, wow. Is it like in the 100,000s? Yeah. yeah, wow. Wow. Like 300,000? 400,000. Wow. My gosh. Have you ever been to a protest before? 
Oh, I think I, uh, I went to Sydney Uni. I've definitely seen a few protests. <laughs> no, I, I, like, I remember seeing the people at Sydney Uni ready to go and join the climate ones that we've had over the last mm. few years. And there was, But that was groups of a couple of hundred, maybe a couple of thousand that I would see. So nothing yeah. in comparison to this. I got asked to join a protest. I wasn't in any political group at uni or anything. I was just trying to mind my own business. I got asked to join in a protest against Marianne Le Pen. If you have no idea who that is, she lost the 2017 election to Emmanuel Macron. And she was kind of like the further right campaign, uh, further right uh, candidate, I should say. And I got asked to sign a petition and join a protest. Wow. At, U- at uni? At UNSW against the against the French election. Like, <laughs> 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 I had a fair few asking the French. Like, try and be like, try and recruit. Uh, I see. Yes. Yeah, right. I definitely would have like that. I think, I think it might've been the socialist alternative is the big yeah, sort of right. group at Sydney uni that would push those sorts of causes. So I definitely uh, was approached along my walk along Eastern Avenue. Oh. Um, but Hey, they can support what they wish to support. Fight a good fight. Yes. Have you been in a protest people like? I have not. I, I like a few times where I, I could have gone, but I, I was sick. It's a suicide bombing. He, he had a note from his doctor. <laughs> um, Family yeah, guy no, reference for yeah. those. <laughs> No, I did go to one. I was uh, tempted to go to uh, one of the change the date protests, but mm. I don't know why I didn't. It's pretty hot. <laughs> 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 we just know that because oh, like it, it will change in five. Bad. It will change in five yeah. to ten years. Um, I and P- yeah, I would go. Py oh. caught on the wrong side of history. There, no, no. But you guys know that's not true. We do know that's yeah, not true. You- <laughs> So yeah, uh, four hundred thousand protesters is pretty is pretty nuts. Four hundred thousand people marching in in Sydney at the time. Jack Lang he did remain around, but he never had anywhere near the near the power. So he Labor dumped him as the leader in nineteen thirty nine. So we had another bite of the cherry after he stood down and he didn't win the election. So basically, it's kind of tough to know why he'd lost. My argument is a lot of his reforms really helped the depression, but then he didn't get the credit for it. The nationalist government, mm-hmm. so I should say the UAP government then got the credit for it because they could kind of piggyback off a lot of his spending that happened. And so he, he, he couldn't win a seat. People were also like, oh, he's pretty, he's a pretty edgy guy to touch now because of he nearly caused a civil war. Let's just kind of stay clear of that. I just want to. Yeah, it's not great on the CV, no. if, I'm, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I probably wouldn't lead with it. Um, Although Trump seems to be doing so right now. For, true, yeah. true. Times have changed. Yeah. That was a really MSNBC point. Like, and that's just like Donald Trump. Like, oh, <laughs> that's become the very thing I hate. Oh, my gosh. Steve Smith just got out. Yeah. Wow. I was, yeah. Good ball. Good ball? Mm. Okay, 109 <laughs> for five, jeez. <laughs> But yeah, so basically he gets dumped as, as leader of Lang Labor in nineteen as of Labor in nineteen thirty nine. He then leads runs as an independent, runs runs as Lang Labor. He gets expelled from the party officially in nineteen forty three. So he gets Labor wow. chuck him out. And then because he's kind of running like he's a faction boss and people view him as too divisive and he's a bit of a kingmaker within the Labor Party. And so during at nineteen forty three, they're under the leadership of John Curtin at the federal level. And at that point, they've kind of moved on from, from Jack Lang. And they're like, this is our guy. He's unifying the nation. We just need stability. Let's get rid of Jack Lang. So he, he, Jack Lang actually ends up in federal parliament. Mm-hmm. And he so he grew up in Auburn. Okay. So he kind of represents that area. I don't know kind of what, their, what their seat is. Mm-hmm. And so he's the leader from 46 to 49. He also discipled someone who became very influential in politics. Is it Goff? Not Goff. King Fight. No. (laughs) (laughs) It was Paul Keating. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so Paul Keating was basically tutored by Jack Lang. And again, Paul Keating is probably the most famous Labour right candidate Labour's ever had. And he did a number of typically unleft wing things or right wing things by privatising the Commonwealth Bank 
that seen as a, a very non-left-wing move to do. Mm. And so he's, he's, he's really, Paul Keating's probably the most famous labor right person, and he kind of followed the footsteps of Jack Lang. And Jack Lang, basically, Paul Keating got Jack Lang back into the party in 1970, I think. So Jack oh, wow. Lang, so he was like, like, I don't know, like yeah. 90 or something. Yeah, Very much an honorary, like, return. But Keating brings him back into the parliament, oh, back, into parliament back into Labour as kind of an honorary member. Yeah. Jack Lang supported the White Australia policy uh, even when it was overturned. So okay. he was very much like, oh, God, God, God Whitlam's too woke. And mm. he really didn't like a lot of the reforms Gough Whitlam made. And he kind of, he got, as quite common, he became more hardline with what most would call conservative beliefs as he got older. Yep. So Jack Lang mm. nearly caused a civil war. Mm. And he's, he's very divisive within Labor today. So obviously the Geordie video, Geordie's loves him. A lot of Labor left really don't like him. And they're kind of not stoked on his, on his legacy in Australia. They much prefer someone like Gough Whitlam. Yeah. Very divisive figure. So based on the discussion today, what's your verdict on Jack Lang? Yeah, the uh, the White Australia has definitely thrown a spanner in the works. I think that's, you know, that's never something good to have as your legacy, but... I mean, he's been in Parliament since 1913. True. It's also, and also, it's hard to say with hindsight, right? He's very much still a product of his time. Mm. Who knows what things in 100 years will look back on now and wonder how he believed it. But, yeah, I think think he was definitely courageous in parts and being ahead of his time with the economic policy is pretty cool. Mm. Like, that's something that he sort of, you know, didn't get his flowers for then, but it's very much, like you said the way we do things now i don't know um i'm a little torn both ways i can see his merit i can see his his frustrations Mm, i like the way he uh i guess to to put it into a a throwaway phrase stood up for what he believed in (laughs) and and saying that though finding out towards the end that is kind of for the white australia policy has put me offside a bit on on Jack Lang, so I don't know if I would go as far to joining the Lang gang. <laughs> um, but yeah, also, I, di- I didn't follow along heaps on this episode as well, Cam. I was watching the cricket. Obviously. <laughs> He's on the Lang committee. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he, he receives the Lang weekly emails, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, we might call that, gentlemen. So, there we have it. Where do you fall on the legacy of Jack Lang? Get in touch with us at Mr. Mitchell History Podcast on Twitter and we'll guarantee that we'll reply to your tweet. If you want more content, consider supporting us on Patreon for just $1.50 a month. And if you do that, you can gain access to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, specifically on niche school memories, you can get access to a face reveal, and you can choose the imposter for any video on the main channel. Next week, we look at the CIA-backed drug lord who was also the de facto leader of Panama, Manuel Noriega who they then turned on and ousted in 1989. It's a real good one.